Hello, I'm Wayne, and this is my Iron Maiden podcast, sponsored by Woman's Own Magazine, essential reading for ladies since the 1930s. On these shows, I look at the songs of Iron Maiden and how they influenced me growing up as a boy in 1980s Birmingham. I listen to them today as well and see how I feel about them as a man. This week, I'm looking at the song Infinite Dreams, which is track two on the seventh son of a seventh son album. Last week, I looked at Moonchild, the opener, which was very good, and had some feedback on the show. You may recall, I tried to whistle the introduction. Uh, I, I struggled a bit, I, I, I admit it, nothing to be ashamed of. You try it if you're so clever. But yeah, I had some comments on that. Not everyone was impressed, of course, but some people were annoyed that I didn't link it to a bird song again and wondered what type of bird does a whistle like this. Was it a wagtail? Or a chiff-chaff like Trevor's friend. Now, I don't understand the Trevor's friend reference, but uh, I think last time I suggested my wasted years whistle was the nut hatch, and uh, I had some criticism. So last week I didn't bother mentioning a bird song, so that's why I didn't talk about it. So uh, if there are any experts out there who want to analyse my whistle, then listen back to the episode and get in touch. But uh, for me, I'm clearly not an expert, so I'm sorry to disappoint you. I had Goldie Wilson annoyed that there was no Adrian Smith chapter last week. Now you may remember he left us with a choice between crab pay sandwiches and climbing a beanstalk. And he says, why did Adrian wait for the poll results? He could have prepared a chapter for both events, both outcomes. So this isn't good and I feel like I wasted an episode listening to you talking about Moonchild. Well, I'm sorry you feel that way, but maybe in future I'll perhaps tell people in advance what to expect from the forthcoming episode. But uh, what the episode was called Moonchild, so that's why I spoke about it, and for 35 minutes. I also attempted to do the introduction to the song as a treat for you, the listener. And I put it at the beginning, but of course it didn't quite go to plan, thanks to Trevor not being able to borrow Michael Patterson's keyboard. But anyway, I posted a picture of myself with the guitar, just so you could see me. Uh, I don't post many pictures of me, but I don't mind now and again. But straight away, I realised why it was that I was so hesitant to upload pictures of me in my mum's house. Because rather than focus on the lovely guitar or my face, I had Corky say, do I live in a sanitarium? Now luckily, I didn't need to use a dictionary, because I know this word, thanks to Metallica. Now I'm not sure what he means by this whether he means my facial expression is, is befitting of a, a person in a sanitarium, or whether the decor behind me was reminiscent of the sort of clinical feel of a sanitarium. I wouldn't know. I don't know what it looks like. Now, first of all, I want to say that I don't put these pictures up as an audition for an episode of Podcaster's Cribs, because I don't want that. It's not my crib, it's my mum's crib, and uh, it's inappropriate. And I don't think that show exists anyway, so I don't know why you're thinking about it. If it is a comment about the decor of the room, then this is also disappointing, because I know for a fact that my mum worked hard to get a good deal from Ray, the decorator. I don't know how she did it. Uh, He did it at a real good price, apparently. So this is good. Anyway, this week, I'm looking at Infinite Dreams. It starts off with what I'm going to call a woozy, bluesy guitar. Now, this might sound childish, but it's how I feel about it. It's very nice, and, and the bass underneath it predicts the later part of the song, so this is clever. When Bruce comes in with his singing, it becomes quite funky. Infinite dreams, I can't deny them. 
Now we know the title is called Infinite Dream, and that's the first line of the song. It says, Infinite dreams, I can't deny them. Infinity is hard to comprehend. And I agree with this. Infinity is hard to comprehend. Try and think about infinity now. You can't do it. Or, or it's impossible. I remember having a conversation once. When we finished a role-playing game session, we were walking back from the clubhouse and uh, one of the members said, imagine an infinite size space and in that space is an infinite number of infinitely large boxes. Uh, I was a bit confused, but everyone laughed and chuckled, so I joined in laughing, even though I didn't understand it. This is a weakness of mine, and I'm prepared to admit it, live on a podcast. I remember being around Trevor's once, and there was a show on the radio about Oscar Wilde that he wanted to listen to. It was quite an intellectual discussion, and there was a studio audience listening to some expert panel. The expert said that after the shame of Oscar Wilde, all those other writers at the time, who were claiming their work was decadent, were now calling themselves symbolist. And the audience, and Trevor, laughed at this. And I didn't get it, but I chuckled anyway. Now this line has stuck with me for some reason. And when I did a speech at my mum's 60th birthday party, I heard that it should open with a joke. So I used this line about Oscar Wilde and symbolism and decadence. But no one laughed. And that's why it's disappointing to hear that my show's been labelled as comedy because I'm not good at it, I don't understand comedy. After the speech, which I did get a trickle of applause for, my mum's friend Christine came over and asked me what it meant and I had to tell her I didn't know. I must have looked a bit crestfallen because I got a sympathy pint of Carlin Black Label with lime in it. I don't know why I'm telling you this. Anyway, in that first verse, Bruce also says, even in my wildest dreams... And you may know that Wildest Dreams is an Iron Maiden song that came later in 2003. But because Bruce says this in advance of the song existing, I don't think he can travel through time. This first section appears to be a verse, but it doesn't happen again in the song, so that's interesting. I'll be looking at the structure later. There also appears to be no chorus, which is another strange fact. But that's happened before on other songs, hasn't it? Steve Harris wrote it, so it's his lyrics that I'll be looking at. There's a lot of rhyming in it, but some of those rhymes seem a bit forced. But luckily, Bruce sings them well, so it's quite strange. Even though he draws attention to those rhymes, it, it, it makes it okay. And that's a very good skill to have, isn't it? One example is turmoil and fertile. Uh, that, that's an odd one. And I don't think that's an assonant rhyme. There's also end and transcend. And I think transcend in particular sounds a bit awkward. But the fact it is a bit unusual means that it, it sort of adds and, and you get away with it. The lyrics basically say that he's having a bad dream all the time and it's scary. They don't end and, he's, and he wants to go to sleep. We, we've probably all experienced this, haven't we? I remember having a sequence of dreams about six months ago uh, when I was doing the podcast and they're quite terrifying. Uh, some of them had Trevor in and Uncle Steve. After this, there's like this duh-duh section and the, where the guitars go duh-duh. They've done sections like this before where there's a bit of a break between the duh-duhs, but uh, in this case, there's a keyboard that fills in those gaps. It gives it a nice mood. 
In this dur dur section, the lyrics now say that he rather liked the restless nights. So I wish he'd make his mind up before he was scared and couldn't sleep. But, but now he likes them. So what's that about? Well, it means that because he's thinking at night time, it can be quite philosophical and think about things. It says it makes him wonder, makes him think. There's more to this. And then there's another awkward bit that rhymes with I'm on the brink, which is unnecessary in my opinion. But I think this means he's on the brink of finding out something beyond what we know. So actually it is quite good. So I can disagree with myself within a minute, and that's what Iron Maiden does to you. So there's more out there, whether it's in the world of dreams or the great beyond. He talks later of belief and truth, and he displays this natural curiosity that we have. Even when there might be danger, or we may not like what we find, he says, I have an interest, almost craving, but would I like to get too far in? And then we end this section with that classic Iron Maiden question about whether you find out which side you're on, heaven or hell, uh, that common theme that we get. After this, there's this amazing scream from Bruce. Now, I'd like to point out that I said it was an amazing scream because I've had Brucey Babe get back in touch and she says she was annoyed that I didn't mention the scream at the end of Moonchild with the laughing or the scream that he did when he mentioned the Mandrake the first time round. And she was a bit annoyed that I didn't draw attention to this. And I said that Bruce was pretending to be intelligent by reading a book at the intro to the Maiden England video. She's asking if I don't like Bruce. and that, I don't know how you can say that from these podcasts. I've been very complimentary about all of the band. So uh, the answer is, I do like Bruce. And hopefully already in this episode, I've been complimentary about him. After this screaming, uh, there's this instrumental passage which goes on nicely and there's not really a traditional solo for a bit, just a couple of flourishes and then a twin lead section. And there's this middle eight bit where Bruce says, help me, help me to find my true self without seeing the future. Uh, That's a nice change. But again, this section is a one-off in the song. It doesn't repeat again later after this there is a solo and then back to the twin lead again so the structure is there's a verse bit at the beginning then there's the der der section then Bruce's scream then there's that instrumental and then the twin lead bit then there's a help me section then a solo then the instrumental again and then then the end bit which is a repeat of the der der section so that's nice isn't it rounding it off so while Steve Harris wrote this, and in the past we've said his lyrics maybe aren't that complex, his song structures certainly are, because it's not a traditional verse-chorus-verse-chorus business. We saw a similar structure in Lost for Words, where some sections are unique, and some cycle later or repeat. So it's a nice mix, because we all like familiarity or repetition, don't we? Even Caroline Blissett. Right, for some of you, this is the highlight of the show, uh, Adrian's book, so Goldie Wilson will be pleased. I'm sorry if I had to pull it with 10 minutes or so before, but uh, yeah, let's see what Adrian's got to say. Hi, this is Adrian Smith. I'd like to thank you all for voting in the last instalment of my story. Uh, yeah, quite exciting. I was quite interested to see the results on the old Twitter. Yeah, you may remember that the options were for Yannick to carry on up the beanstalk and see what was at the top. 
or go down and get some crab paste sandwiches for lunch. Yeah, I checked the results and find that crab paste sandwiches was the winner, so... Yeah, I should have known this would happen. It's a bit annoying, because I had to burn all the chapters I'd written with Yannick at the top of the beanstalk, so that was a waste of time. Some critics might say that these choose-your-own-adventure stories are designed to get to certain points in a story, regardless of the choices made by the readers, and maybe it would just take Yannick a bit longer to get to that beanstalk situation, but it gets there in the end but I'm not sure I want to play by those rules. So it was a choice between adventure and risk, or a sensible safe choice. And yeah, I know that Iron Maiden fans are quite risk-averse, so this survey proves it. And we talk about this all the time in band meetings. It's why we keep playing Rathchild and Iron Maiden live. We know you don't like risks. So that's why we don't play Alexander the Great or Infinite Dreams. We want to, of course, but uh, you wouldn't cope. And this survey shows that we were right. Maybe if Facebook did polls, we'd have seen different results. I hear the people there are a bit more adventurous in their choice of breakfast, so maybe they'd have affected the outcome in a different way. But anyway, you're here for the next chapter. Chapter 10, Crab Paste Sandwiches. Yannick was climbing the beanstalk in his garden. As he neared the top, he heard the dinner gong. He felt annoyed. He was trying to see through the clouds to see what was at the top, but suddenly felt a fear of what's beyond. While he had an interest, almost a craving, he wondered, would he like to get too far in? He heard the dinner gong again, and remembered that it was crab paste sandwiches on a Tuesday. He hated crab paste sandwiches, but something was telling him he should go down and have them, so he quickly slid down the beanstalk, raced into the house to wash his hands, and sat at the dinner table, waiting. The parlourmaid came into the room, carrying a pot of tea and a silver platter piled high with crab paste sandwiches. She set them on the table, and with a flash of a blade, she cut the crusts off each one. It was well known that Yannick didn't want curly hair. Yannick reached for the one at the top, and imagined he was a giant, picking houses up from off a mountainside. Fee-fi-fo-fum, he said, and sank his teeth into the first crab paste sandwich. It was a fine sandwich, white bread cut into triangles with a pink paste, a thin line between bread and butter. It was spread expertly into the corners, meaning each mouthful was a delight. He took another, and another. He had never realised that crab paste sandwiches could be so interesting and tasty. He was sat there for over half an hour, eating crab paste sandwich after crab paste sandwich, seemingly drawn to the table and this situation by some unknown force. He poured himself a cup of milky tea and enjoyed the sensation of the warm liquid on his tongue as a contrast to the sharp coolness of the crab paste sandwiches. He imagined he was having afternoon tea at the Ritz, although he knew he'd have to borrow one of Dave's bow ties if he ever went there. He thought about Dave and neckwear and London and crab paste sandwiches and wondered why he was doing this when there was a beanstalk in the garden to climb. The parlourmaid took away the cups and plates and brought in a selection of cakes. There were scones, chocolate eclairs and jam tarts on the plate, as well as a flan on the edge. After having a couple, Yannick suddenly felt a bit of a tummy ache. He wondered, should he go and lie down and rest to feel better, or should he go back outside to climb the beanstalk? You won't decide. 
Now, I've said there's no chorus in it, and, and that might make you think, oh, there's nothing to sing along to then. Is that why the band hasn't played it live since 1988? No, this is wrong. I think the fans would love to sing along to this, especially in the dur dur bit. And maybe those awkward rhymes make the lyrics memorable because they're so unusual. Someone chasing, I cannot move. Standing rigid, a nightmare statue. Imagine singing that live, along with a band. That'd be great, wouldn't it? You'd be... Oh, the power of the fans singing it as Bruce changes the tone. Uh, you might close your eyes and clench your fists while you sing it to give it more emphasis. You might think about when you're hiding from someone chasing you because of your mullet and staying still or standing rigid, hoping they wouldn't find you. That added emotion I'd have if I, if I could sing that live. And, and perhaps I did when I was 11, um, when I saw them at the Birmingham NEC. Maybe I did think about that. Looking at where Infinite Dreams was in the set, I see it was the song after Die With Your Boots On. So maybe I was just conscious of what the fans might think of me after groaning at the intro to Die With Your Boots On. So perhaps I didn't go crazy with the singing and emotion. Maybe I don't play this due to the fact that it's a bit stop-start and slow in places. And maybe they think it's not one for the fans to jump around to. But I think it'll be a nice change of pace and I enjoy it. Uh, I watched the Made in England performance recently. And I think it worked well live. Maybe the dur dur section might not be as fun to play for the band, but I think it was good because Bruce isn't running around so much, so I think that range was quite easy for him to sing, and it was a very good deliverer. He's even got time at the end to mess about with Nico. So it's a funny song, as they've not played it live much. It may not come to mind straight away as one of the Iron Maiden classics, but I think it stands out because it's quite different from anything I've covered so far. There's been other songs I've covered that don't have a chorus, um, but there's normally an obvious vocal hook that defines the song. In this one, Infinite Dreams is just the first two words of the song. They don't mention that phrase again. So that's that's interesting. And I don't think that's happened before, or maybe since. I'll have to think about it. So because of this, it's strange that it was a single from the Made in England video period, a live single. Um, and as I've said, it, it was a good performance, but as a single on the radio, or, or to listen to on a record... It's a bit strange. Now, you might think that, well, they've already released three singles from the Seventh Son album at this stage, and maybe there wasn't an obvious choice based on the remaining new songs to, to put out as a single, um, because they would have just been Moonchild and Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. But looking back to the Live After Death album in 1985, those live singles from that were Run to the Hills and Running Free, which had already been released as singles, and they were older tracks, not new ones. So, yeah, it's quite strange to pick this. I'm going to look at the set list and have a think about it. I suppose looking at it, most of those songs have been released already as singles, um, or they might be a bit long in in some cases. I'm glad they didn't choose Die With Your Boots On. Um, Still Life probably isn't really a single-type song, but then I don't think Infinite Dreams is either. Yeah, maybe I'd have picked The Number of the Beast as a single, because um, it was released... Six years ago as a real single uh, from the studio version. So, so maybe that would have been a good one. Or maybe The Prisoner. That would have been interesting. And the B-side to this single was Killers and Still Life. Anyway, it did quite well in the singles chart. Got to number six, which is quite a surprise. Uh, top ten for a live single. That's unusual. But I think this shows where I made them work this time because the singles from the Seventh Son album did better than their previous albums. So yeah, maybe this is peak Iron Maiden. So maybe they could get away with releasing a live single of a song that wasn't as catchy as some others. 
Now it's time for Dave Morey Fact of the Week. You know from a previous Fact of the Week that Dave Morey likes archery. But ironically, he hated the darts TV quiz show Bullseye. Although, when Nico wanted to watch it on the tour bus in 1988, Dave smiled politely and, and pretended to watch and answered some of the questions on spelling. So I hope you enjoyed this week's Dave Morey Fact of the Week. Infinite Dreams is a song that when I hear on its own, I want to hear it again straight away because it's quite interesting. It doesn't feel like a long song because it's got so much in it and so many changes. It's always interesting. And I think I could hear it several times in a row and not get bored. Right, I'm going to give Trevor a ring now, see what he's been up to. Hi, Wayne. Hi, Trevor. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Obviously, day after Eurovision. Oh, yeah, I saw that you took over Twitter last night with your comments. Well, I did think about changing the password after about four songs. I don't think people follow the account to look at this, this sort of commentary, silliness. No, I've got good interaction, probably gained some followers. Yeah, probably lost some followers as well. No, people were excited. OK, so uh, was it good then? Yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, I had popcorn, salted of course, and fans will remember, that's my favourite, after the Twilight Zone episode. Really? I, I don't remember that. So yeah, it was nice, I uh, got into the spirit of it. Got some flags out. You may have seen it on Twitter. Oh, yeah, there were some negative comments about this. Andrew Whitnell complained about your use of flags. Uh, some of them were the wrong way round and even used a big word, truncated. Oh, yeah, it was quite hard to get them all the right scale and shape. I mean, he'll know that Switzerland is different dimensions to the others, so this was quite hard to sort out. What do you mean? Aren't they all rectangle? No, this is like a square. And it's quite hard because I had to plan with the paper use and put it in my special laminator. So was he right then? Did he get some of them wrong? No. Well, just how they looked in the picture, maybe the shininess of the, of the flags, thanks to me using my special laminator. So I know that Italy won. So were you pleased with this? Well, I wanted France to win. Oh, yeah, of course you did. But Italy was good because it was more of a rock one, so it was nice. It's good variety in the style of music wasn't just cheesy, upbeat pop. Did you watch with Pamela? No, she didn't come round. Oh, right, it's a problems. No, well, I just haven't had to meet the parents yet. It's too early for that. Oh, right, does she know you like Eurovision? Yeah, I told her. Oh, right, so you mentioned this to her then, but uh, you didn't ask her about whether she'd read Dr Faustus, I remember. Well, no, you have to sort of do things in an order. So when will she meet the parents? I don't know. I haven't thought about it like this. What do you want? A Gantt chart. A what? A Gantt chart. Never heard of it. Anyway, I don't know why you keep talking about my love life. What about yours? Well, there's nothing to talk about, is there? As you know. But uh, anyway, we're here to talk about Infinite Dreams. So uh, how do you feel about that song? Yeah, I like it. I think it's good. I think there's... Uh, even though it's Steve Harris, and he's not got my favourite lyrics, I think there's some good rhymes in it. It taught me that... You don't have to worry about rhymes if they don't quite sound right. It doesn't matter. So, when I was a boy, it inspired me. And yeah, I wrote some things I might be ashamed of now. Like, Paul Diano can't play piano. And then I did, Demi Stratton has a hatton. A hatton? Well, yeah, it's hat on, but you don't say straton. So, when I was a boy, I changed it a bit, the delivery. So yeah, all important in my development as a poet. All right, well anyway, it's Infinite Dreams. It's not about your poems as a boy. 
Well, yeah, it's got life's questions in it, where you contemplate the meaning and what might lie beyond our understanding. Yeah. I mean, that unknown is infinite because we can't picture it. Okay. So I quite like this symbolist method in describing something transcendental and dreamlike. And obviously it's quite clever, his use of symbolism here. And it's not to be confused with a similar decadent movement. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Oh, I thought that was funny with symbolism and stuff. No, it's not. But Steve Harris cleverly strays away from that sort of decadent stuff because it doesn't create a world away from reality. It just contemplates it. There's no graphic imagery like you'd associate with decadence. Okay. I mean, there's similar themes as we've had already, isn't there? And you probably mentioned this, like heaven and hell and the choice and the state of our mind. And, and then there's that reincarnation theme where you mentioned those Harry Krishnas. What episode was that? Oh, I think I mentioned them. Um, I think we mentioned this a couple of times. I think Sun and Steel, because it's about life is like a wheel. Yeah, well, the nature of dreams is like a cycle in this, isn't it? Okay, well, I'll probably regret asking this, but do you have any dreams? Well, not that I want to discuss on a podcast, but uh, in fairness, I haven't had a dream for a long time. Well, you, you must do. Well, yeah, I think we do, but if you don't remember it, do you? Sometimes you have to sort of write it down as soon as you wake up, otherwise you forget it. Okay, so uh, you're going to do a poem then? What about my, my three questions? Oh, well, can't you just have what we've already talked about is your questions. Uh, I asked you about Eurovision, I asked you about the song. Um, can't remember anything else. I think you've, you've had enough input this last week with the Eurovision thing, so, yeah, just, just let's get on with the poem, shall we? Okay. Well, I've written a poem about infinity, and I was going to talk about how my love for Pamela is infinite, but I didn't think you'd like it. Yes, that's right. Okay, anyway, here's the one I did. I'm fast asleep and dreaming about me, fast asleep and dreaming about another dream inside this dream. I scream to help it stop. I scream to help it stop. Okay, uh, so a bit of repetition there. Yeah, but if it was written down, you'd probably see it differently. Okay, but you said about being fast asleep and dreaming and about being fast asleep and dreaming. So it's just like, I suppose that's the infinite then. Yeah. It's a bit like when you sort of got two mirrors opposite each other and you can see yourself in both mirrors and they just carry on triggering and repeating. So you've got your face going off like in that Queen video when they say, let me go. Okay. Well, how's that? So, hang- so anyway, it's about dreaming, and you're just sort of going on and on a bit, aren't you? About this sort of dream, about a dream, about a dream, and and you, thankfully you stopped after a bit, and then but then you repeated about screaming. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. No. It said I screamed to help it stop. So like, I guess you woke up screaming, stopping the dream. No, I said I screamed to help it stop. I screamed to help it stop. Yeah, she repeated it. No, I said, I scream to help it stop. I scream to help it stop. Yeah, well, I don't understand this. Why are you just saying the same thing? Because it's different. As I said, if it was written down, you'd see it. Well, how is it different? You're saying, I'm sc- so you're screaming to help it stop? No. The first time I do, I say, I scream to help it stop. But the second time, I say, I scream to help it stop. 
okay, this is getting silly. So what's happening then? You're screaming to help it stop. So then what happens? Well, I'm, I'm eating some ice cream, which helps me feel better and reassures me after the nightmares. It's like a comfort food. Oh, right. So ice cream... So ice cream, to make it stop, is you screaming, but then to help you stop screaming and to soothe you, you have some ice cream. Yeah, I thought it was obvious. Well, no, it wasn't, was it? Anyway, thanks for your poem. Um, Next week we've got Can I Play With Madness, which I feel like we've just done. Yeah, looking forward to it. So, uh, yeah, okay. well, thanks for that, Trevor. So I'm sorry there won't be any Eurovision. What I'll do then... After you're moaning, uh, I'll look at three questions that aren't linked to the usual ones. So, so we've got something a bit different. So I'm sorry about that. But uh, anyway, I'll speak to you on Sunday. OK, thanks, Wayne. Bye. OK, you can follow me on social media. I'm at Wayne Maiden on Twitter. And if you find me anywhere, you'll see I've got a link tree, which is my sort of official page, if you like, which links to all the places you can find me or listen to me. Um, but of course, you're listening to me already. So some of those links will be silly, won't they? But uh, yeah, you can do all sorts now. Follow me on social media, even buy t-shirts. I've also got a Ko-Fi page, so you can follow me there. Leave a tip, and there's lots of other discussion. We had Trevor's Takeover Thursday recently. I had a tweet from Daniel Davis, who was disappointed that uh, Trevor dismissed Monsegur and his songs beginning with M-List. Um, I don't know if he did, really. I think uh, Trevor did contemplate it, but uh, just put Moonchild above it. I don't think it was linked to the classic album's phase, as, as you suggested. Um, but I think Trevor could only think of Murders in the Room Morgue as another one. But uh, I think Trevor's been nice and just commenting on the songs that we've covered so far. I've also had a message from Sylvester McCoy who says he's been disappointed there's not been so many Paul Diano photo bombs lately. So I'm sorry about that, but uh, they just crop up now and again, you know, just randomly. Anyway, Infinite Dreams, that's a very good song. And uh, a long time ago, I think it might have been maybe the Children of the Damned episode, I talked about how track number two was probably the strongest song across the albums of the 1980s, when you look at them all in a line, or in a list. And uh, yeah, this is another good quality song to add to that list. In fact, I don't think it's a weak song amongst the track twos. Um, I think at the time I suggested Revelations might be the weakest, which is silly. Um, So I don't know now what I'd think. I wonder where I'd put Infinite Dreams. Is it a top three of those track twos? I think it might be. I think it's just a really good song, memorable, um, yet sort of always seems to be quite fresh when you hear it. So I like that. Anyway, can I play with Madness next week on the single? So I look forward to that. Hopefully you can join me. And, uh, thanks for listening. I'll leave you with some infinite dreams. Bye-bye.